Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, August 6th, 2023. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the co-founder and executive director of Naomi's House. Hello, I'm Alex Goff, campus pastor at Poplar Creek Church. And I'm Kelly Brady, I serve senior pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Thanks so much for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning, team. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Summer's almost over, it feels like, and it's early August. Kids go back to school. When do they go back, Simone? Uh, my kids go back the 17th. Okay. My younger kids. My high schoolers are the week after. 10 days. Holy smokes. Wow. Oh, that's late. Your high schoolers are late. Yeah, okay. Crazy. I, I'm getting ready to send out, um, you know, date invites for, for serving for September. Wild. I just threw up in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. I love September. Yeah. Like it, it's it's so bittersweet. Yeah. I love September and half of October. And <laughs> half of October. Then, yeah, no, I just love it. Like yeah. it's the it fall. gets cool love in the, the night. I agree. And it's cool it, in the morning. Night, was anybody outside last night? It's it beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We picked our first ears of corn last night and roasted them on the grill. Ooh, how would they turn out? Not good. Oh. What? Oh. Yeah, they weren't as sweet. So at the, really. I planted uh, candy corn is the title of the corn seed I planted. Sounds amazing. Sounds it, like something that should be sweet. <laughs> right. And, you know, the, the guests we had, we had a bunch of Wheaton College uh, young ladies over who are f- coming back into town, right, to get ready to start. And, and they were very polite. But when I bit into mine, I was not happy. It was <laughs> fine. It was fine. It just wasn't all that I wanted it to be. And It was like the Christmas vacation episode, <laughs> uh, part where they're eating the food. and the- They cut it open and the smoke <laughs> just comes out of the middle of it. Oh, that stinks. Uh, man, we just got some corn from the farmer's market last weekend. Amazing. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a crazy moment this weekend. Uh, the church on Poplar Creek has a preschool that operates during the school year. And I walked downstairs and there was a cubby with my son's name on it. He's starting preschool oh, next month. Fun. And that was just one of those like, oh, this is actually happening. Like he's, so he's at that fun. point now. It's it, cool. Yeah, it's exciting for him. How did worship go at Poplar yesterday? It was really great. Um, for those of you that try to watch the message online, unfortunately, we had an issue with our stream where we weren't able to get sound on it. But for everybody that was there, it, it went really well. There was a moment where I just kind of closed my eyes and listened to the church, and everybody was singing loud, and it, yeah. was, it was a really good Sunday. Yeah. I enjoyed yesterday. I enjoyed yeah. uh, being together again, and uh, I need to uh, rescue myself. So, <laughs> is it rescue you or rescue your wife? It's rescue me. Uh, so yesterday during the sermon, first service, I did a good job offering a warning on a book titled The Case Against the Sec- Sexual Revolution. So it's a great book. Listen to the sermon online if you want, and you'll get kind of a... Um, a summary of what the book involves. But then I offer a warning because the book's not an easy read. It's not written by a Christian author. It's a deep dive into the depravity that's come to America because of the promiscuity and the notion of consent being the highest ethic. And so in that caveat, I first service, I said it was a very hard read. Sherry couldn't get through it. It's too emotional for And I said that, so be warned, be careful. And then I said, and if you have um, an addiction, if you've had an addiction or battling a a sex addiction, it may be triggering because of the deep dive in in the sex topic. Second service, though, I made the mistake of saying, 
I made a warning. I said, hey, you need to know it's not written by a Christian author, and it's, it's full of weighty, difficult topics, and that if you're struggling with sexuality, if you're triggered by sexual things, you probably should read it. Sherry had real trouble getting through it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, which felt no. like two, which sounded like two connected thoughts, but it they really did. weren't. And so, you know, Sherry's <laughs> super gracious, and she turned around to Carrie Vanderveld at the end of the service, and she said to Carrie, "Carrie, did you hear that I might be struggling with a sexual addiction?" And Carrie's like, "Yeah, that's what I heard." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So she's super patient, but um, yeah. I tell you, the, law, the more you speak publicly, the higher oh, the gosh. probability you'll say something stupid. Right. So well, at least you're not recorded every time you speak. Exactly. Oh, geez, yeah. <laughs> and not to shame anyone who might have a sexual addiction. Right. I say, hey, we're all not, sinners. Yeah, I said to Sherry, lighten up. Sherry, yeah. <laughs> lighten yeah, up. I, I, said, I said, lighten up, honey. We're all sinners. Oh, yeah. No, I don't like to make a habit of confessing other people's sin. So right. I wouldn't be doing that up front. Yes. So it was a, a snafu yeah. on my part. So. <laughs> Well, thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed getting through, moving through First Timothy, and we have some questions this week. That, really uh, good questions. That we'll move through. We have questions from both the 501 Hillside Campus and mm -hmm. the 300 East Schick Road Campus up in Bartlett, Poplar Creek. So, Matt, you want me to read the first question? Uh, no, I got it. Um, I just wanted to say, man, I, I enjoyed yesterday's worship. Um, we had the grip, the baby grand out, and Jen yeah. Brown. Jen Brown just... Yeah. A different part of her comes alive when she's on the baby grand piano. I that totally agree. Um, I, it is special. I often think about why don't we sell that baby grand? <gasps> and because it takes up so much room on the platform, and this keyboard here makes all the same sounds, and it does, and to some extent better there because you can. Yeah, but uh, there is a different feel. Oh my gosh! But happens. every time Jim Brown's on the baby grand piano, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. She literally makes the thing jump up and down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite different. And also, it was great to have Leslie Kruger back. Yeah. I thought yeah. she did a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah. Um, her and her family have been ministering to another family pretty much this entire summer. Yeah. And it's been a rough go, and they've kind of been the boots on the ground, yeah. you know, ministering to a, a family that's gone through a tough time. And so this was her first time back mm -hmm. since all of that. And mm -hmm. I told Leslie after the service, I was like, it knowing that it took so much courage for you to lead us today felt all the more authentic and yep. um, worshipful in the sense that I, I knew what you it were It was a going sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, a sacrifice. That's the yeah. Absolutely. It was. It was, it was really, it was a very special worship. Something I, I like to talk about a lot, um, the importance of knowing the folks that you're leading and knowing the folks that you're being led by, like mm -hmm. just knowing them. It's part of yeah, church. Humans. It's part of, uh, it just adds an extra dimension in worship, like what you're saying, like it was all the more impactful for you yeah. because you knew what she was going through and here she is singing these mm -hmm. truths mm -hmm. and it just adds another dimension. Mm -hmm. It's it really does. sweet. It's it one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things about leading worship. Well, and in a church our size, we're a nice sized church uh, in that you can know the people on the platform fairly easily. Mm -hmm. And Paul writes to Pastor Timothy in this week's passage, 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, so that they can see your process, uh, progress. He says, be diligent in these matters so that others can see your progress. We need to see each other's progress in the mm -hmm. faith. It's hugely encouraging. So to watch the Krugers minister to this other family is inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brittany did communion, right? Yeah. How was that? It was awesome having her up. Awesome. Yeah, really cool. Really yeah. good. 
there was a uh, there was a moment she was speaking over at Poplar um, a couple months ago, and before the service, I asked her. I said, "So, scale of one to ten, how nervous are you to be up on the platform speaking?" And she said, zero. And I was like, "Not even like a two or three, like a zero. And she's like, "You don't know this. I used to do debate." And I'm I'm like totally Makes comfortable sense. with yeah. this. She seemed very comfortable. That's awesome. And uh, you know, she kind of gave her story of of choosing to go into ministry, and hmm. I, it got me thinking about it. Like, wow, she left. On paper, she had the perfect job, right? right. Like, yep. pays well, respectable, like yep. all of that stuff. Not that ministry isn't respectable, but when you're a lawyer, that's a different yeah. kind of, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep. And just yeah, just I, I was sitting there, my wheels Plus were just she spinning. She trained for it for three years, I right? Know, right. Yeah, she has a doctorate in the law. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you know what? I, I not that I'm trying to be prophetic here, but I bet God is going to use a lot of those things that she's been diligent with. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, into where she's going next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he just does that. It'll and serve it's awesome. Her and the church well. Yep, that's awesome. Uh, okay, let's get into some questions. First one, I appreciate you giving an example of some of the false teaching threatening the modern church. Are there any other false teachings threatening the church today that should be addressed? I want to say, yeah, gosh, yes, certainly, mm-hmm. absolutely. And so I just made a quick little laundry list here of the three-ish. Uh, the prosperity gospel um, should be addressed and is a false teaching that's making its way into the um, the global south. It's very prominent in yeah. uh, South America, uh, prominent in Africa. Uh, it's the notion, the prosperity gospel is the notion that with enough faith, you can prosper. It's called oftentimes the health and wealth gospel, that if you're not prospering, it's because you lack faith, because God always wants us, so goes the, the false teaching, God always wants us to be healthy and wealthy. And, and you can see why that could be damaging um, because many people are sick and ail, uh, struggle, and um, they're, they're seeking the Lord's care, and, uh, but they continue in chronic illness. And, um, John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this world, you yeah. will have trouble. And that's, yeah. he's saying that to his disciples. Yeah. yeah. I was up the other night or... No, I was at the health club early morning, and they had a prosperity gospel teacher on the television. You know, these televisions in the yeah. health clubs are often preset. Yeah. And so, but anyway, I was up early enough that there was a prosperity gospel message on there, and I just thought, oh, it's so painful. Mm-hmm. Um, if our theology, as Alex rightly points out, if our theology does not have a category for suffering, mm-hmm. then it's not a full gospel theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the losing your life and picking up your carrying cross, your cross. And carrying your cross daily doesn't doesn't sound like a life of comfort. Right. Or but, prosperity. But, but right. you are offered a life of peace. Yes. Yep. And mm-hmm. it's just it's a different kind of thing. It's a different mindset. He doesn't he doesn't save us from suffering, but he's with us through the suffering. And yep. the promise of the gospel is that there's a future resurrection coming that's better than any amount of wealth that you could obtain now. I should also say that he does uh, heal some in this life, and mm-hmm. he does bless many. I mean, we have a church full of folks blessed with wealth, blessed with possessions and, and means, and so the Lord does give up those things. Uh, but it, it's not a guarantee. Some of us, he calls, like Brittany, to give up kind of the 
political, uh, the climbing the ladder of career or, or influence, and so hmm. to take lesser roles of service. Second one I'd say is Christian nationalism. Um, during the uh, election of 2020, and I assume during the election of 2024, this will be a prominent false teaching, and it's the notion um, that God's will is that America be a Christian nation. So the notion that America is a Christian nation and or, and or that God wants us, uh, Christians in America, to work to build a Christian nation, it's the blending of the call to grow the, the church in the influence of the kingdom and conflating that with politics. Uh, basically utilizing the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ to solidify a voting block. And we just need to be really careful there. Uh, America appears nowhere in the Bible. It's not talked about in the Bible. Um, in fact, the church is a gathering of all nations. We're for mm. all nations, which is very different than patriotism. We can be very patriotic. I am very patriotic. Uh, yeah. Love my nation and committed to its flourishing. That is different than saying this should be a Christian nation. That gets into a question that I wanted to ask. I think it's okay to desire God to be put first in our country, but how do you draw that line? Um, where does it become unhealthy, that desire for God to be a part of this country versus pay, um, Christian nationalism? How do you separate those two? Well, I, I would press a little. I'd say, which God? You're talking about Yahweh. Mm -hmm. yeah, but our nation is founded on uh, a freedom of worship. Mm -hmm. And so there needs to to be a recognition that not all citizens are worshiping Yahweh, and um, th they shouldn't be made to feel like second-class citizens. In fact, um, Christians should have a posture of us, not against them, which often happens in Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. uh, but us for them, for the other faiths. Um, and so we, we just need to be we need to be careful there. And I, I think that Christians, there are Christians called to the vocation of uh, national civil service and so serving as uh, politicians. And so I, I think that's a, a high calling, a valuable calling, and want to pray. In fact, we're told to pray for our leaders. So. Hmm. Oh, final, I would say <laughs> the... Alex had written down moralism, and I, yeah. I, I think that's a false teaching that we need to be very careful of. Uh, I added to it therapeutic deism. So the moralistic therapeutic deism is the notion that good people go to heaven. God wants us to be good. Behave yourself. Uh, he wants us to be happy. That's kind of the therapy. Um, and so um, God would certainly rather we be morally good then we'd be morally bad. Don't get me wrong. He'd rather we be highly moral. Mm -hmm. But it's not as simple as good people go to heaven. It's all of us are sinners and in need of saving. Um, so, Over at the Poplar campus, I camped out quite a bit on this false teaching of moralism just because this was a false teaching that I had fallen into the trap of believing at different times in my life. And, and the way that we defined it at Poplar was basically how 
um, the way that you please God, the way that you obtain salvation, and the way that you maintain salvation is by keeping various moralistic laws or just being good. Like if I pray, if I go to church, well, then God's happy with me. If I don't lie or cheat or steal, then I'm a good person deserving mm-hmm. of heaven, like you said there. Um, and for me, that really flowed out of attending a church that did sermon series based on topics. And often those topics revolved around the congregant, like how you can evangelize your neighbor, or how you can control your anger, be brave like Esther, be faithful like Daniel. And it was really all about the listener and behavior modification. Mm-hmm. And so that really got into how it shaped the way I read the Bible. I was reading the Bible asking, okay, what does this have to say about me instead of what does this have to say about God? And so what we ended in Poplar by talking about with moralism is that the Bible teaches that God's perception of us is not based on what we do, but what Christ has already done. That's the gospel. Our salvation is not dependent on works, but the work of Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And it was really neat. After the service, we had some people come up and say, I I can fall into this. I didn't even realize that I, I had fallen into this false teaching. And, and yet oftentimes this is what I believe. And so I think when, all, when we talk about all these different types of false teaching, prosperity gospel, Christian nationalism, moralistic, therapeutic deism, mm-hmm. um, we just have to be vigilant and aware because it's sneaky and it can sneak into our theology. That's the importance of diving into God's word and submitting. Uh, you have a thing here about counterfeit bills. Yeah. So it is um, tempting to get caught up in looking for false teaching and false teachers. And churches can get caught up in doing that. Uh, federal, it was interesting to me to learn that federal agents, when training to identify counterfeit bills, so the Secret Service, which guards the president, that's how they're best known, was actually started to protect the nation's uh, currency against counterfeiters. Mm. And so they were secretly serving the nation by finding counterfeit bills and taking them out of circulation. Well, the way that they train federal agents today to spot counterfeit bills is not by looking at all possible counterfeits. Let's be honest. There is an infinite number of possible false teachings in the world. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, on and on and on. False teachings uh, are innumerable. The way they train federal agents to spot counterfeit bills is by focusing on the real, genuine bill. Hmm. And so, given enough time uh, and focus on the real, authentic bill, then counterfeits are fairly easy, whatever the, the variant might be, fairly easy to, to find or to spot. And so I find this to be true in faith as well. We, rather than constantly looking for false teachers and false teachings, there's, there's value in being able to spot them. But the best way to be able to spot them is by fixing our eyes on Christ and seeing with clarity over and over what God has done for us in Christ, who Christ is, and, and how he's provided for us. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, how do we reconcile Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7, 8 to 9, where he discourages widows and those who are single to marry with his words in 1 Timothy 4, where he says that marriage is good? Isn't Paul doing in 1 Corinthians 7 what he is describing as false teaching in 1 Timothy 4? So, did, Alex, did you get into marriage much yesterday? Um, uh, I didn't. The only thing that we touched on really was Gnosticism and how that might have been influencing 
the, the false teaching the here. The prohibition against yep. marriage. Yeah. Do you guys, Simone, Matt, do you guys, um, Alex as well, do you, do you guys see a contra-marriage stream in popular culture? Something against marriage? I had talked about that some mm-hmm. yesterday, and I just mm-hmm. wondered if y'all... Of course. Yeah. Oh, I... Okay. Yeah. Like in... Hollywood. Yeah, popular culture. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think both not getting married and ending a marriage, divorcing, both feel very... Yeah. I hadn't thought about the ending a marriage. Yeah, Yeah, but... Neither one of them feel weighty. Like, if you don't want to get married, you just want to be with your partner without any long-term... Commitment. Commitment. Yeah, Yeah, that feels... Do you remember the phrase, starter marriage? (gasps) Have you heard that phrase? Wow. What does that mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. the divorce rate is, is so high, and, and yeah. it's fairly common, and there's no fault divorce, so you can get to, to divorced for fairly any reason. Any reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, there is a term that describes, well, rather than saying this is my first marriage, rehearsal. Yeah, it, oh, this wow. is a starter marriage. I'm, yeah. I'm learning what it is to be married and, mm-hmm. and how to be a married person mm-hmm. and if this works out great, but... Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I know in my friend group growing up, I am the only one that's married, like all my friends from high school. Oh, and wow. it's just, really? a, it's this whole other weird world that I'm in. And uh, they're all. What cur- do they attribute that to? Or would you attribute it to? Career focus versus family focus. You know, um, I've got to get the degrees. I've got to climb the ladder. I just don't have time to focus on relationships and things like that. I do think it's true that people are getting married later. Yep. And that's, that's something yeah, I hear from them. Yeah. That's what you're kind mm-hmm. of proving. I mean, my group of friends, we literally all got married the year after college. Within, it was like every weekend. And I, mm. I heard, you know, someone, like a friend of mine whose kids are, are, are older than mine, and she had 12 weddings in a row this oh summer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so it's, maybe it's just Wheaton where it's still happening. <laughs> oh, my, yeah, my son, he's, you know, he'll turn 27 in this mm-hmm. December. I think I've got that right. I'm so bad with numbers. Anyway, 26, 27 years old, and I think he and his fiance had eight weddings this summer. Wow. Mm. Um, Does 27 feel? It feels appropriate. It doesn't feel early. It doesn't feel late. It feels good. timely to me. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think, um, you know, there are councils of like Hollywood elites and, and people sitting around going, how do we right. bring Undermine. down marriage? Although to your point yesterday, I do believe there are demonic forces that are yes. doing that exact thing saying, okay, we're going to make this, you know, here's the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think though on, on with a lot of those folks, if you ask them, do you think that marriage is critical to a society flourishing? They would probably say no, no, of course not. Mm. No, we don't need marriage. It's like, I think a lot book, of people would say that. The case against the sexual revolution, the last chapter, Marriage is Good, she actually gives the, do- the data on how societies that have uh, marriage laws and protect marriage, uh, kids do better. Of course. And finances, the nation's finances are better. Yeah. And to Simone's point, uh, those same people, I think, because I've had some of these conversations with people, they would say, they would uh, list divorce as the reason why marriages don't. Uh, flourish a society. You know what I mean? Oh, like, because like the, look at the catastrophe that a divorce yes, is. Yes, I mean, be, yeah. and because that is true, divorce does it is hard. leave yeah. a wake of crap. Yeah. Like, <laughs> many of us have swam, swam in that crap for a while. Swim, like, swam, swam, yeah. swam. Swam, swim. <laughs> Our swimming. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> true. Our swimming. Yeah. It goes on and on. It, it does, it does. And, um, yeah, part of that that's sad is uh, because it's so common, it tends to get 
if you are a child of divorce and a broken home and mm -hmm. it kind of gets poo-pooed, you know, yeah. like, oh gosh, mm -hmm. every, half the country's going through this. This isn't a big deal. Suck You're good. Up. Suck what, it up. What's interesting you know. about what you call the starter yeah. marriage don't second marriages have a higher rate of divorce? They do, right. So that doesn't yeah. feel like that's logical. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. statistically speaking. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. All right, so Paul, um, in First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 4, yesterday I noted that Paul uh, identified marriage as a gift from God. He called out the false teachers who were prohibiting, they were forbidding marriage. Um, as Alex said, I tied that, and he did too, to Gnosticism. Gnosticism mm -hmm. was a, a first century worldview that identified the material world as evil. And the notion was that uh, if we can um, separate ourselves from the material world, or to the extent we can separate ourselves from the material world, then we're ready for gnosis, for knowledge that is received directly from the divine through an experience. And so there is a, an abstaining from the world, food, marriage, um, certain bodily desires for sure, uh, sexual desires, and then, then you receive the gnosis, this divine knowledge. So he, he, Paul says, no, marriage isn't to be forbidden, it's to be received with thanksgiving. And the question asker, the listener's asking, well, what about in 1 Corinthians 7? So let me just read that. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 8, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. So Paul was single at this time. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And so how do we reconcile these two? Firstly, we need to realize Paul was not forbidding marriage. He, he's not uh, contradicting himself in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Timothy 4. Um, he's, he ad, admits that God created marriage, marriage is good. He's calling those that can remain single to do so for the sake of the mission, to stay on mission. He, he, Paul would say that you know, time was short, uh, the gospel is needed, so if you can remain single, you can give your attention wholly to the Lord and to his mission. Um, but he's certainly not forbidding marriage, and he's not calling, certainly not calling marriage bad, and he's admitting not everybody can bear the call to live single um, because of desire for sexual intimacy, the desire for partnership. So mm. That's good. Does anybody else think about uh, staying in the police when we talk about material world? <laughs> no. We are spirits. What years man. would that be like? Middle 80s? 82. Yeah. Ghost in the machine. Yeah. I All truth is God's June. truth, baby. Uh, <laughs> we are spirits in the material world. 1982. Boom. What a good year. Is that when you were born? No. Oh, no. Well, oh gosh. No. What, are you 92? Yeah. You're closer uh, to 92. Than... Yeah. I'm 94. Oh, my there God. It is. is that crazy? Oh my yeah. Gosh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go to the next one. If everything created by God is good, what about marijuana use among Christians, or even opioids for that matter? What comes from poppy seeds? I, can I tell a story really Which fast? comes from poppy seeds? Sorry. About this question. So in college, we had to take a class called Principles of Interpretation. And one of the projects that we had to do was you were assigned a topic and you were assigned the position you had to take. So my wife was um, assigned the topic of marijuana use among Christians, and she was given the task of arguing for marijuana and, and the pro position. 
<laughs> so uh, one of the things that she did that I thought was really funny was that she baked and brought brownies for oh everybody. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> there was nothing in the brownies, of course, but it was it was just funny, and that was what I was thinking. Do of you when need I read to confess question. your wife's marijuana? I, I was going to say, I just I wanted Thank to be like Matt. Kelly. And Are you saying she has an addiction? <laughs> please don't, please don't harass my wife. Uh, no, I just thought it was funny. But let, you know, let's get into the question. Well, I'll tell a funny story too. I taught at uh, College of DuPage for a couple semesters at philosophy class and gave the students the opportunity to write an ethics paper, right? They need to write. And so you can pick your position, pick your topic. So the first semester I did this, 30 students in the class, I had 27 papers on the legalization of marijuana and why it should be legalized. So I feel like I've heard every possible (laughs) angle. Mm -hmm. Second semester teaching the same class, I restricted. I said, uh, two people can write on this topic. Otherwise, you must all find different topics to write on. Hmm. So it was front and center in the lives of college students at that time. Of course, it's legal now. Mm -hmm. There are dispensaries all over the state. I'll weigh in last. How about that? (laughs) You got stories to tell? Well, I mean... (laughs) I became a Christian later on in life, and yeah. I literally I played in a rock and roll band touring, touring yeah. the country. Yeah. So I can speak into this. Yeah. For me, it's pretty straightforward. Um, drunkenness is condemned. Pretty. Do not get drunk. And so, um, Paul writes. So it's it, for me. It's pretty straightforward. Any drug that our substance that alters our state of mind. Um, is not who we're to be. Um, But at the same time, there is a real valuable use for marijuana. Apparently, if you have glaucoma, if you have seizures, um, and most of the drugs that, you know, I don't know if I can say most, you know, many of the drugs that we use in uh, surgeries, uh, painkillers, uh, you know, everything created by God is good. These, these drugs help us endure pain. And so I, everything created by God is good. Here's the trick for me. And I used to talk my kids through this quite regularly. I'd say, um, we know we're using these types of substances when, uh, in appropriate way, when we're thankful for them. Thank you, God, for marijuana, if it's uh, help with glaucoma. Um, When we're uh, submitted to the Word of God, when we're looking to the Word of God, all right, marijuana alters the state of our mind, but helps with glaucoma. Um, So I need to avoid drunkenness, but thank you uh, that I can have the value of it uh, without, you know, altering my state of mind. And then prayerful. We need to be prayerful, ongoing, and so when, when I get a prescription for some sort of oid, whatever that might be, uh, after, you know, I had knee surgery this summer, and he gave me, I think, 10 days worth of whatever the painkiller was, well, I need, to, I need to be aware of the fact that a lot of people get hooked on those things these days, and I need to, to be disciplined in mind and body. And that idea of, like, getting hooked is it, where my brain goes with this question. First Corinthians six twelve. Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so the, the test, when I read that verse, for Paul of whether something is good is for Paul to ask this question, will this activity master me or will this enslave me? And, and that's, I think, a really good mindset when it comes to substances or things like that is that we don't want to have anything 
master over us or enslave us. Does, does that make sense? I, yeah, mm. absolutely. I think they're there. We want to be filled with the spirit, not with opioids, right? Yeah. You look like you're going to say something. Well, I, I mean, I'm so curious to hear, to hear, of course, what Matt has to say. I oh, sorry, I didn't mean to set it up like that. Like, no, I'm you, like, <laughs> you peons, go ahead yeah. and speak. Let me talk <laughs> yeah. about. No, I didn't mean it. Like no, that, I didn't. Sorry. No, that's not what I meant. But I, um, <laughs> you know, I work with women who struggle a lot with addiction, mm. and you know, yeah. you've all touched yeah. on it already. And so, um, I feel like <laughs> that's distracting, John Vanderbilt. John um, Vanderbilt's back at work, and he's here distracting us. <laughs> He'll be on the podcast next Monday. Hey. Um, I forgot what I was saying. Women so struggling with addiction? Just, it's, I, think, I think this is where, what you both were touching on. Um, it, will, it, can, it can destroy mm. someone's life. Mm-hmm. Destroy. And so you have to, I mean, I mean I've, I've watched it over and over and over. And even women who have been sober and clean for years can still relapse. And if you've mm. walked alongside anyone who has any sort of substance abuse addiction, it is a long, long road. battle. It's a yeah, long and battle. Opiates in particular um, are just so highly addictive. And so mm-hmm. I'm not saying like you should be scared. You should never take anything. You know, there's like you said, you know, doctors will prescribe an opiate for um, pain after a surgery and other reasons or whatever. Um, but the abuse that can come from them um, is so severe and so dangerous that you just have to be aware. And I, I'm no scientist, but <laughs> opiates and cannabis are are, are very different mm-hmm. in their origins and their usage and things like that. So the question about marijuana usage among Christians kind of falls to some people's and some people's rationale into the same category as drinking. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think there's a ethic, an ethical dis- discussion that can happen on either side, but back to the, you know, the, demographic of women that I work with that struggle with addiction, um, marijuana usage often prohibits women from being in the present and dealing mm-hmm. with a lot mm-hmm. of their um, trauma and... So, a, like a, a numbing. A numbing, a coping mechanism. Yeah. And sometimes it's actually helpful. So you are not allowed to use marijuana when you're at Naomi's house, just mm. to be clear. But there are times where women have expressed it actually has kept them alive in the sense that they're not being overcome by their trauma and what mm. they've experienced. And so that it's an effective coping mechanism. Um, where that line is, I think is what's so challenging in this discussion. And the last thing I'll say about it that I've learned from, you know, working with women who have real struggles with substance addiction is that the culture around marijuana, and maybe this is what you're going to touch on. I'm not sure, just guessing, but the culture around marijuana usage is also a slippery slope and it's um, maybe it, safe to say it's not always God honoring. <laughs> it's not constructive, <laughs> it's positive. Not constructive. Yeah. It's not. Doesn't um, promote flourishing. Yeah. I wouldn't encourage my kids to use marijuana. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. is it really going to get you where you want to go in life? And I don't say that judgmentally if someone's listening and they're a marijuana user, but I just, because it is legal now, it would be a different story if it wasn't mm-hmm. legal. That's a whole nother. I mean, that, that makes it black and white. It's mm-hmm. not black and white anymore because it's legal. So it's just, it's a, it's a, it's just a dangerous. Yeah. And just because something's legal doesn't mean it's good for right. us. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, no. I, I was just going to talk a little bit about, um, well, f- first, why can't we get drunk? Why not? So both Peter and Paul in 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, mm. be watchful. Here's the reason. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, de- to devour. That's the reason. You need to be sober-minded, right? There's a battle going on around us. So have your wits about you. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes, um, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Then he goes into, therefore, don't be foolish, do not get drunk on wine. But the reason is because the days are evil. Mm -hmm. Evil is all around you. The devil is a prowling lion looking to devour you, so have your wits about you. Okay, so that's why we don't get drunk. But, that, but it's, also, it's okay to have a glass of wine. It's okay to have a, a bourbon or whatever you enjoy drinking. Mm-hmm. But don't let it pass the line where you are, you're not sober-minded, right? That's clear, right? We would, we would all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, with marijuana, there is no incremental mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uptick. Yeah. There is no, it just does, especially with what, um, they are dealing in the dispensaries, mm-hmm. you know. So when you're just buying from Joe Schmo off the street or whatever, you may get the grade that is of the dispensary level, and it's very expensive, and it's you know. Or you may get what was used to be called Mexican ditch weed. It's like it's it's, it's not that's what we called it, um, and it wasn't as potent, mm-hmm. and that that kind was a little more incremental. But the stuff that by and large everyone now is smoking is a one tiny one puff and you are as high as you're going to be it doesn't matter if you smoke more you may be higher longer but but the effect of it you go from sober to high Mm -hmm. yes and isn't it true that it's not regulated in dispensaries i don't really know a lot of i just Mm -hmm. you know the street term was kind bud okay that's what you called it back in the day. Is it kind? Yes, that means one puff and you are as, as high as you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, you can smoke more and be higher longer, but you don't really get higher, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So then we got to talk about, okay, uh, there are some people, and I think I've known one in my life, who when they're in that state of mind, they get laser-focused. Like they want to go work on an engine. They want to go do something like that. Okay, everybody else I've ever encountered is a, I just want to veg out, watch a movie, listen to music. Make good decisions. Eat some chips. Right, it's more of a, you know, kind of knocks you back a little bit, right? Um, So outside of that one person that apparently in my life was like, it it sharpened them. It doesn't sharpen everybody else. So I... I conclude from my life experience that it is the same as drunkenness as far as your altered state of mind. And since it cannot be regulated, I don't see how I could permit a Christian that I was leading or whatever, pastoring, I don't see how I could say that's okay for you unless it was medicinal for medicinal use. Recreational use, I don't see it as any different than alcohol for that reason. You can't 
If I drink a bottle of wine, I'm gone. If I have a glass of wine, I feel relaxed, like taking a muscle relaxer. There's mm-hmm. no problem with that. So going back to 1 Corinthians 6.12, you would say that because marijuana, it's not incremental, it's zero to 100, it just automatically has mastery over you because it puts you in that state? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's you're being mastered by it. I mean, if you have... If you do that one time a year, does that mean it's mastering you? I don't know. Yeah, I would I'm go just, to a different verse. I'd say Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk, which because it leads to debauchery. There's it, a, that's what I mean, it, right. Okay. Debauchery is a is the tantalizing of sensual pleasures, whatever they may be. Right. I yeah. think the New Living Translation is like, don't ruin your life or something, yeah. you know. But yeah, like that's, so that's why I, I put that in that category. I found this topic fascinating in the Christian world, me coming from the outside world and yeah. hearing Christians talk about it. Um, that's why I file it in the same category as drunkenness. That's good. I can see, someone you were reflecting on, some women said that marijuana helps them achieve kind of a disassociation mm-hmm. so that they're not overwhelmed by their trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, that the the type of drug they're using to calm mm-hmm. uh, aside they're using marijuana that aside I could see how that is uh, an effect a lot of people I know have had so much trauma that they take something for their anxiety mm-hmm. um, they can't they either can't sleep mm-hmm. uh, or they're losing weight or you know all types of mm-hmm. yeah it's similar I mean some people would even put using marijuana to help disassociate from your trauma as medicinal. Like right. It's, a, yes. it's, yeah, yeah. it's use, you're using it for a therapeutic purpose. Yeah. Um, the problem with that is that it doesn't give you the tools you need right. to address the trauma. So if you're looking, right. trauma right. keeps you locked right. in the past yeah. and I yeah. think are to flourish, right. to live a flourishing life. You want to live in the present. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dream about the future and too much. And that's the question. How much is too much? But the, but any, I use using anything, whether it's marijuana or a different, drug of choice to numb you out from experiencing your trauma is not getting you on the path that you're looking for to live mm. a holistic flourishing life. Mm-hmm. And I know that your, your clients, do you call them clients? It, yeah. Clients, participants, yeah. women. They, they get a lot of medical care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Therapeutic mm-hmm. care. So. Yeah. No, it's tricky because you're not allowed to use any substances while you're a resident in our program, in our residential program. So women come to Naomi's house knowingly choosing to to not use. That's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they are successful in it, but they're trying. Hey, Glen Ellen Bible Church family. If you worship at 501 Hillside on August 20th, we'll be out of the building. Don't come to 501 Hillside August 20th. Go to Lake Ellen. There we'll gather at 10 a.m. for worship. It's our annual outdoor worship service. Worship in the park. So we hope you'll join us at 10 a.m. It's a great service to invite friends and family to if they don't have a church home. And it's a baptism Sunday morning. So we'll be doing baptisms outside, singing together outside. There'll be a sermon. If you have interest in baptism, if you've not followed the Lord's command in baptism and his example in baptism, make sure you ask us questions, contact a staff member, and we'll walk you through the process. So join us at Worship in the Park, August 20th, 10 a.m. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, Talking about false teachers and how humans can get off base in their doctrine, how can we trust the Bible if it was written by humans? This is a verse we got up popular yesterday after the service. You mean a question? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. 
You want to go through it? Go for it. You want me to? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I would say two or three or four or five things here. Um, how can we trust the Bible if it was written by human authors? I would say, well, first of all, Scripture claims to have God as its origin. Mm-hmm. Yes, it came through men, um, but these were our people. It came through people, but these were uh, people that uh, were led of God to write what they wrote. So Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. First um, Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul says, we're, we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And then Second Peter, um, prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, uh, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when someone asks if the Bible has human authors, how can we trust it? I'm comforted that Peter and Paul both addressed that question. They realized that people would have that question, and they went uh, to point out the, the origin, the nature of Scripture as being um, God-inspired, God God-breathed. So one of the things that the question asker was wrestling with is, well, there are issues today that weren't issues in the New Testament, and how can the Bible address some of these things that the authors of the New Testament would have no idea about? And one of the things that we talked about is, again, knowing that Scripture is God-breathed, God is beyond time. He was aware of what's going to happen in 2023 when he was you know, influencing the writers to write what they wrote. Mm-hmm. And so um, in that sense, that the fact that Scripture's God-breathed should bring us comfort. Yeah, Scripture was certainly not written to us. It was written to a first-century audience at the latest. Mm -hmm. Um, The Old Testament was written uh, as much as a millennia, millennia and a half before the birth of Christ. So it's an ancient book. It was written to ancient audiences, but to Alex's point, it was written for us. Mm -hmm. So it speaks beyond its time. God speaks through it. Mm -hmm. I think it's also helpful to kind of... um, address essentials versus non-essentials. Mm-hmm. And so that that's one of the ways that I, I don't know, you said find comfort. I don't like justify or rationalize how the Bible written, written to us by God, but through humans. And there's debate among interpretation and that's where it gets confusing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I don't mean to read into this person's question, but you know, there are things that are debated in the Bible and it comes down to interpretation. And so, um, I found something that's helpful for me is just to define what do you, you know, what is essential and what is mm. not essential when it mm. comes to doctrine. Cause there are some things that, you know, you want to go to a church mm-hmm. where the essentials are, you know, fall in line with mm-hmm. church history and, you know, your, mm. um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Your, the doctrine isn't changing. It right. isn't, Right. You know, the deity of Christ, mm-hmm. the sufficiency exactly. of the cross. Uh, I mean, how many are there? How many like essentials? You know, there's right. they're, they're they're listed in the Constitution of GEBC. Right. So, um, and all the non-essentials, you you know, are encouraged to explore and study and we can relax talk around more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can disagree to the point that Simone is making this um, essential versus non-essential. Um, it's important for us to realize that that Scripture is 
is right is being written for a very particular purpose. And in other words, scripture doesn't address all possible topics. Mm-hmm. How big a book would it have to be? Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a book written to talk of God's saving work in history. So the the primary focus to her point is God's work to bring the savior for humanity, Christ who gave his life. And so he, the, the narrative traces that from mm-hmm. creation through the fall and then all the way through the book of Revelation, the last book, um, talking about the culmination of, of the saving work of God in history. So that's really what we should focus on. That's what we should primarily glean from it. Mm-hmm. It certainly addresses topics along the way, marriage and parenting, but that's not why it was written. Um, yeah, so... It, the, there are some other things, notes, um, we can trust the Bible as uh, the word of God um, because, first of all, it claims to be the word of God, but also the, some of the primary authors, take, for example, the authors of the New Testament, um, they, they died for their testimony, their written testimony. Now, mm-hmm. simply because they died, it doesn't mean it's true that they, they were martyred for it. Um, but they, they went from being uh, scattered and terrified when Christ was arrested, no one stood by his side, to later, after he was crucified, they became bold and courageous. Why the change? And the best explanation is that they, they met with the risen Savior just as they said. That's literal resurrection power right there. Right. So the only explanation, really, is that they saw what they say they saw. They went from being scattered and terrified to bold and courageous, standing up in the streets of Jerusalem and preaching even to the point of their own death. Peter was crucified upside down, church history tells us. And no one dies for what they know to be a lie. They don't, people don't do that. And they certainly don't do it as a group. Mm. They, they don't all collude so successfully that they can support a lie to the point of death. So over and over again, we see the radical change of the disciples, those who wrote, by and large, the New Testament, uh, that they were radically changed and that they gave their lives for what they were reporting on. They trusted the Word of God so we can. And they wrote... They wrote uh, in, in, a, in a window of 40 to 60 years after. So in the lifetime of, of, of those first eyewitnesses, this testimony of the New Testament was written mm-hmm. such that it could have been um, undermined if it hadn't been true. I mean, Peter stands up and preaches in the streets of Jerusalem just 60 days after, under 60 days after Christ was raised from the grave, crucified and raised from the grave. And so he, he's the one that scattered and left Christ when he was arrested, but now here he is preaching in Jerusalem. So That's awesome. That's an awesome apologetic. I've heard you say often, you know, people don't die for, for a lie, right? right? And that's a strong apologetic. But yeah. I hadn't considered that while before the resurrection, they had no problem abandoning Jesus. <laughs> right. Before yeah. the resurrection, the, they... No problem. No one um, stood with him. No one stood with him. Yeah. But after the resurrection, they stood to the point of death. Yeah. They had experiencedly experienced something so radical, the yeah. resurrection, that they were deeply convinced. Yeah. That's great. That's awesome. Right, let's go to the, to the final one. I have a friend in my life who believes false teaching, but they aren't a Christian. 
how do I talk to this person about truth if they don't agree on the Bible as a source of truth? This was another question from Poplar. So, um, Kelly, I appreciate what you wrote in here. Uh, one of the things you said is the importance of prayer, that ultimately it's the Holy Spirit that has to work in the minds and hearts of those uh, who are deceived. Another verse that I go back to, uh, in the book of Acts, we just got out of there talking about that, but in Acts 5, we read the, what the impact the disciples were having on the world. And in Acts 5.13, it says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. That There was something about the way that the disciples lived their life that was having an impact, even if the people watching didn't totally agree on um, every every point and things like that. I think that there's a way that we can live our life with people that aren't Christian, that um, lifestyle evangelism, a way of demonstrating the power of Jesus through the way that we live. And um, to Simone's point about essentials and non-essentials and things like that, a really good starting point uh, is Jesus mm-hmm. and starting with um, who Jesus was and what he accomplished. That's, that's a good starting point for somebody that has a friend like that. There's there's so much false teaching out there. You know, my father didn't believe for many, many years. So answering this question is a little bit difficult um, because I'm not sure exactly which, uh, what false teaching mm-hmm. yeah. uh, his friend is embracing. Um, in other words, um, given all possible false teachings out there, I, I would ask my, those closest to me, let's just talk about Jesus. Uh, and, and let's solidify whether you believe you can believe Jesus is who he says he is before we get into sec- to secondary matters, uh, tertiary matters, non-essential issues. Upon so I, you know, I've had friends who were scientists and because of the fossil record just couldn't believe that God created all things, um, but that there is a more scientific explanation. Uh, but if I can get them to set aside uh, their desire to discuss the fossil record. Can we just t- talk about Jesus and the historicity of his life and his death? I mean, there are extra biblical accounts of his crucifixion that's outside the Bible um, of his crucifixion and of the story of him being raised outside the Bible. If we can just talk about the historicity of Christ, his claims, the transformation of his disciples, then then if they affirm Christ, then mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit will continue to work in them about the fossil record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd like to focus on Jesus. Yeah. And also I'd say focus on how Jesus has changed your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cause nobody's going to really argue with your experience with Christ if you're sharing it with him. I mean, God can save anybody through any, any way, through any conversation, but typically, you don't argue somebody into no. the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so, I, what I wanted when I was seeking, I wanted what I saw in other people that I knew I didn't have. That was the strongest pull for me. It was, I was magnetized to that idea of like, I want what you have. Mm-hmm. Where did you get that? How do I get that? And that's convicting you, for me to live authentically because if somebody outside of the faith sees me living a life that's contrary to the Bible I'm claiming to follow, yeah, it's mm-hmm. destroying the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always think of the verse in Romans that says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. Mm-hmm. It's not arguing or giving <laughs> them a lot of books <laughs> or, you know, those sometimes there's, those are tools, 
Um, but I think it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. And I think that can be manifested through us by the way we love people. Mm. I mean, it's just the gospel is so relational, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Jesus, it's a relationship with Jesus. So if we can model a sacrificial, mm. loving relationship and, and demonstrate that and, and give that out to other people, I think I don't, that's the most powerful tool we have. Yeah. And be encouraged. God doesn't, isn't relying on your persuasiveness. Yeah. He'll use your persuasiveness, but he's not relying on it to save this person. So you're, be free with that. Yeah, relax. Like, don't feel the it weight. Is. Yeah, just love that person. Love God and show that to that person. That, and oftentimes, yeah. especially with family members, because mm. a lot of times your family doesn't go away, yeah. um, it's persevering with them and mm -hmm. showing up when... They're making decisions that you don't agree with, but you're the first one there to show up and love them and serve them and hmm. um, just sacrifice on their behalf. Presence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't drive through the landmine, through the, land, the minefield. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, just know what those topics are and yeah. just, just mm -hmm. stay away from that's those good. and that's just, just love them. All right. Uh, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening them with your faith behind Thank you for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.